uh, relationships based on God's word, it's not that complicated. Now, before we get to that, I want to say again, my name is Peter. If you're visiting, thank you for joining us. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs, and I want to have a real quick family huddle moment first. So uh, if you're visiting, you can check out for a second, but I want to address our members real quick. If you consider this church your church, I want to encourage you to come early to our Sunday services. Um, We've seen a little bit of a pattern of people kind of come in later in our services, and if it being more crowded isn't incentive enough to be here earlier, I want to give you more incentive. Are you all ready for more incentive? It's God's mercy is incentive. Here's what I mean by that. If you're missing the first two songs, you are failing to render your praise to God. And there's mercy. I thought that was going to be a lot more exciting. Look, Lamentations says that his mercies are new every morning, right? Uh, But Romans 2 says, don't presume upon the mercy of God. So check it out. Whichever of those two converging mercy scriptures best helps you to get here earlier and to render your praise with your family here, just go with that one that works. Otherwise, in the coming days, you'll probably be sent to the the cry room to try to enjoy service with my screaming snotty kids, all right? Did I do that right? I tried. I tried. Hashtag never try the dab again. Hey, I don't care. Hey, I tried. Okay, here we go. Again, it's not that complicated. The dab thing, I guess, is. But everything in life is about relationships. We are in our week two of three of our love and relationship series called It's Not That Complicated. Everything is about relationship, our relationship with God, and and our mission statement in church is about our relationship with God and with other believers and with the future believers that we're fishing for. That's how we grow in being followers of Christ, family-focused, fishers for men. It's all about relationships. If your life is perfect, if everything in your life is perfect except your relationships suck, well, your life sucks, and you suffer Intensely as a result, okay? Everything in life is about relationships. It's not that complicated. But the problem is is we're kind of complicated, right? We need God's help to sort out our complications and our sin. We need God's love to, to restore us and to capacitate us for right relationship with him and with others. And this, this series, we're going base, basically back to the basics of God's word to help us sort out his truth in his word and help us to rightly relate to him and to others. Now, as I promised, we're going to have a couple at the start of each service share their story, and then I'm going to share a short message after that. And today I have a treat for you. Beric and Tiffany Neely can come around. So, uh... Many of y'all know Tiffany is our lovely and talented worship director, but uh, before there was Tiffany, Barrick and I were roommates in college here at Texas State. Uh, We started, we helped to start a campus uh, Bible study, which is 
now become this church. And I had to get Barrick up here in this series when I realized we were doing a relationship series called It's Not That Complicated, because I'll never forget a conversation you and I had in 2004, the summer of 2004. He and I were sitting out on our front porch, and we were in college, we held each other uh, accountable for purity before marriage. And now the last 11 years, we've been held, holding each other accountable for purity in marriage. Uh, but we were talking about how complicated it feels sometimes in the church when you're seeking God's will in the whole area of dating. And I remember, I, I remember you said, Beric, you said, man, what if I don't want a girlfriend? Remember this? You said, what, what if I just want a wife? Can I just get a wife? <laughs> Two weeks later, he met Tiffany, and not long after that, they were married. And uh, can you just take us back to that place, like how God helped you sort out that complication you were feeling? Absolutely. Um, just like Pastor Peter talked about, I really wasn't, I wasn't really into dating, you know, all about the dating scene. So my prayer was, um, I really hope that God would just kind of show me who my wife was going to be. And I was just going to jump in it full fledged. Um, my whole philosophy behind that was kind of like, I can kind of relate it to sports and athletics. You know, you jump in with two feet, um, you prepare, you go all out. And within that process, you go through a lot of training, a lot of development, and um, you get better and better at it the more you stick it out, the longer you stay committed to it. Um, so that was kind of my approach, you know, when I met Tiffany. Um, but one thing I really struggled with was I really wanted her to kind of be accepted by my spiritual family. And that was a struggle for me. Um, you know, I was a guy walking around campus with my WWJD bracelet. Some of you, some of you too, too young to even know what that, <laughs> what would Jesus do? Like strolling through campus and, um, you know, I was saved, had spiritual family. My wife, on the other hand, was a little rough around the edges. <laughs> a little rough, a little rough around the edges. But that was fine. That was fine. Um, I truly felt that God had called us to be together. And I would, um, invite her out to church, Bible studies. You know, at that time we used to commute to our every nation church in Austin. And I remember my wife, you know, sitting on the back row, um, we're, we're, we're worshiping God. You know, I had my hands up worshiping God, just kind of looking at her like, what is she doing? You know, she's just kind of standing there looking around. I'm just, oh, God, you said this was the one. And she, you know, she wouldn't really get her praise on. Um, but to kind of really break this scenario down even further, I got to paint this picture for you. For me, you know, I have two sons, Sir Isaac and Isaiah, and I could send them to their room and say, hey, guys, go clean your room up. It's a mess. There's a lot going on. Get it done. They go to their room, start working. Not five minutes later, I hear a lot of tussling and wrestling and fighting in the room. I approach them in the room, and, it's, and I'm just kind of like, guys, what's going on? And Isaiah's crying. You know, Isaac hit me. He hit me. And I have to look at Isaac like, why did you hit your brother? Isaac's like, well, he wasn't helping me clean up. He wasn't doing his part. He wasn't helping me. And I had to explain to Isaac, like, look, man, I'm the parent. You let me worry about Isaiah. You just do what I asked you to do. Doesn't God kind of rebuke us 
that in that same fashion, God was just telling me like, look, Barrick, you, you don't need to worry about Tiffany. Like, I, I have a plan for her. She has tons of potential. You let me worry about her. What you need to do is worry about yourself and the things that you're going through because, quite frankly, you're not that holy. So God kind of kind of shared that with me. And throughout that process, I witnessed my wife moving from the back row of our church in Austin to leading here on the platform to our church in San Marcos. So, absolutely. And what I learned from that is sometimes you just got to let God be God. Like there's so many times in relationships where we try to try to shape one another. We want we want we you know, you want you want the other to look the way you want them to look and act the way you want them to act. And God is just saying, "Let me be God. Don't try to be me because you can't." So, thank you. Y'all didn't know my man had it like that, did y'all? <laughs> no, it has been a really interesting journey, and he's right. When we first got together, uh, I didn't know anything about this. I had definitely grew up in the church, but I didn't grow up in a church that had heavy discipleship and accountability, and I really didn't know what that looked like. So all I knew is this guy who um, I was friends with kept dropping off Israel CDs and purple books. Every time I saw him, I had like about 15 of them by the time I finally gave in, but um, he pursued me in a way that I had never been pursued before. And I will never forget, uh, hanging out and friends and just kind of chilling. And he'd invite me to church. And one day he starts preaching the gospel in this parking lot. I was sitting on the hood of his car and he was in the middle of the street with his hands out, you know, all up into it. And he turns around and he says, I've been praying for my wife for two years. He said, and the Lord spoke to me and told me that you're my wife. So you want your ring now, or do you want it later? And I was like, so at the time I'm stuck, but look, but at the time I'm stuck on, wait a minute, what do you mean God spoke to you? Like you can hear him? Cause I don't know anything about that. So for me, it, it was such a different, uh, it changed the, the whole dynamic of our relationship because I knew what his intentions were. I knew what I was getting into this for. We weren't wasting time. I, I never asked the question. I don't know where this is going. I knew exactly where it was going. And once we got married, you know, things happened. We moved every six months for the first three years because he played football. We had three kids in four years. Everything to add a lot of good stress to a relationship. You have two people that don't come, that come from broken homes, that don't come from marriages that have lasted, trying to figure that out. And that's a difficult thing. But one thing I will say, I love that in the beginning he pursued me he pursued God so God could pursue me. And there were times in our marriage when I had to pursue God so God could pursue him again. And sometimes that's how it works. And the thing is that I've never stopped believing God and praying for my husband. I knew who the Lord gave me when he gave him to me. And I will fight for my marriage till the end. And I'll tell you one of the biggest tools to fighting for your marriage is continuing to pray together. But you have got to invite people in to help you walk this thing out. You cannot do it by yourself. You need help. And everybody that stood in our wedding has stood by us, has called us out, has charged us up. And I will never forget the pastor that married us. One of the best things he said was, you're not standing here to look pretty today. You're standing here because you have a responsibility to help keep this union together. When they want to give up, you help them fight. And this is the best thing that I've ever fought for. 
And we have definitely, um, we started our own legacy. Elisa talked about legacy one time, and that ministered to my heart in a really big way. Her family set the legacy for her that she'll continue, but we get to start our own legacy. And our kids won't know anything different, and their kids won't know anything different. So that is what I speak over our lives, and I just want to encourage you guys to be intentional, put the Lord first, and invite people in. Come on. Just to kind of attest to what she said about inviting other people in, a lot of people think making the commitment is the biggest step. But I I think differently because some people make the commitment and they forget about the connection. The connection is kind of what keeps you together. So think about it today. What are you connected to? What's your connection? Are you connected to the body of Christ, to other believers? Think about that today. There's a commitment then you also need the connection. Thank you. Thank you. Gosh. Wow. No explanation for the joy and love without Jesus being alive. That's what we're going to talk about right now. I want to read to you from Philippians. It's our only text. What you see from Barak and Tiffany is that their marriage is not based on thinking that they can make each other happy without God. Their marriage is based on God's selfless love flowing into them and giving them overflow so that they can love other, one another out of overflow and not out of depletion or a need to, to be loved back. It's because God loved them, they can love other, one another. Or, to put it another way, as Paul puts it in Philippians, I'm going to start in verse 27 of chapter 1. They allowed God to make their marriage worthy of the gospel. Our life, if you're a believer, your marriage, everything in your life should be something that you live out in a manner worthy of the gospel. So this is what Paul says to the church. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether whether I come to see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then the same stream of thought, just a few verses later, verse 1 of chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation from the, in the spirit, any, afflict, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's word. I want to shed light on some of these verses that we just read and specifically in the context of marriage. I have a few basic points that I want to share. Number one, God is the purpose of marriage. Now, if any of y'all are into counting here, of all those 13 verses we just read, 12 verses, how many times did the word marriage come up? Zero. This is mostly mentioning relationship harmony with other believers. Now, I would argue that there is no more important or fundamental relationship harmony than the harmony that God grants and commands in a marriage that he has instituted. But I would also argue that this verse isn't just about relationship harmony. It's about God. It's about displaying God. It's about receiving from God so that we would project God's power to a dying world so that they would see the way we relate to one another and confess that he is Lord. That's the purpose of everything and it's the purpose of all relationships and all relationship harmony and it's the purpose of marriage. Marriage has a purpose and it is God. It's to glorify him. Now these verses in the start of this, if you just kind of pick out verses two through four, uh, these verses I've heard shared in a lot of different settings, not just Christian settings. I've, I've heard them shared in team building exercises, just the basics of, of the, uh, the principles of, relation, of relational harmony. I've heard, I've heard it shared. My joy, be of the same mind, have, have the same love, be in one accord. I can imagine a basketball team Or a football team sharing this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. But also to the interests of others. Now this is. These verses. Alone by themselves. That's just basic wisdom. For any sort of relationship on earth. And it doesn't require faith. To agree that this way of living. Is kind of the best way that gives to uh, relational harmony and, and, and mutual dignity. It doesn't require faith. The only problem is, is when you pull these verses out of the context that they're in, you lose the purpose of them and the power for them. In other words, it doesn't require faith to agree that this is the right way of living and relating to one another, but it does require faith to actually live that way. We need God's power and his help. And specifically in marriage, if you try to live out these verses, verses two through four, and the rubber meets the road eventually, if you try your best, out of your best love, that you can just kind of gather up in your own feelings, if you try your best to be not conceited and to be selfless, but you're not driven by the mercy and the love of God that was there for you when you were conceited, anything but humble, and you were selfish. 
If you're not driven by that mercy and unto glorifying that person who gives us his love, his unconditional mercy and grace, then you're going to miss the mark because the purpose of marriage and the purpose of everything is God and his glory. He's what marriage is all about. He's what life is all about. He's what relationships are all about. So verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And again, I say, let your manner of marriage be worthy of the gospel that alone secures a marriage. Purchased the marriage that we have hope to grow in. So that when people see how you handle things that sidetrack and and absolutely bankrupt other marriages, when they, when they see you in the coming years, may it be that God has ordained for people to watch you and to see that maybe you're no more special necessarily than the next person, right? They can see that you have the same basic weaknesses as the next guy. And yet they see how you overcome certain things in your marriage. And they think, man, they've got some power that I don't have And I need me some of that. I pray that people would see that there's something else that you've locked into and they see how you respond and they see how God moves you and drives you in your marriage and the effect of it is that they're confounded and and that at the name of Jesus, their knee bows and their tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the purpose of our marriage and our relationships here on earth. God is the purpose of marriage. Now, if we miss that, we're going to grow sad and disillusioned. Years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, I was trying to encourage him that there was hope for his marriage. And he had just kind of settled into a pattern of just kind of coexisting with his wife. Uh, it's a friend of mine out of town. Um, He just kind of settled into a pattern like there was not a whole lot of hope. And I was trying to give him some hope. And the crazy thing is, is he didn't want hope. He he confessed to me, he said, Peter, uh, she's never really made me happy. And I've never really made her happy. And so it's just not, it's kind of not going to work for us. And I'm okay with that. See, the problem is, is he had bought the lie that marriage is just this thing that you just make each other happy. And it's nothing more. And so here he is failing to receive God's power for his marriage, rejecting the purpose of marriage without even knowing it. How often is that like I've seen people that reject the Jesus they think they know and they have no idea that they don't know him. My friend here had no idea what marriage is all about. It's something so much more than what you're settling for, than just kind of a temporary mutual happiness arrangement. It's something so much more than that, and he had no idea. John Piper is a pastor in Minnesota, and he says this, I hope that it would blow our minds and our, just totally destroy our temporary paradigms of marriage. He says, marriage isn't meant to make us happy but to make us holy. Marriage isn't meant to make us happy, but to make us holy. You see, when we reduce marriage to something lesser, then we're going to grow disillusioned. We're going to be unhappy. 
In, in our pursuit of happiness alone, we're going to be unhappy. But let me tell you this. The greatest form of sustained happiness is holiness happiness anyway. So if you aim for holiness because you're driven by the gospel of Jesus, and you aim for God, you're going to arrive at God by his mercy and grace and his holiness and being more like him. And that's what marriage is all about. And along the way, you get some happiness too. And it doesn't stop. You get both. And if you aim only for happiness, you get neither. This week, I was meeting my friend, uh, Alberto. Uh, he's a new campus missionary. And I was meeting him here at the church, and I drove down here, and it was a cold morning, thank God. Lord, let us have more. And uh, I'm driving here, and the car warmed up. And I was about to text him and say, hey, let's meet out in my car, because I'm not sure if it's warm inside the church building, but it's warm in here. And I, I decided, that's silly. I'm not going to burn the gas in my car. We, we ended up meeting and hanging out in the building. What's the point of that story that seems to have no point? <laughs> Marriage is something far more than just something that keeps us warm and happy. Marriage is a vehicle that gets to something else. It's a vehicle that drives us to further sanctification in God. And if we see it only as something that, that makes us happy while we're relating to one another, then we're going to miss the whole point and we're going to exacerbate our spouse and we're going to run out of gas in our marriage. It's something so much more than we understand. Marriage is for God. The purpose of marriage is God. Now, let me, let me share with you though that because if we only see that and we don't see how to get there, then we could be left discouraged. The purpose of marriage is God. But look, God is also the power in marriage. That's my only other point. So God is the purpose of marriage, but God is also the power in marriage. So God is, the, is what marriage is all about, but God is also how marriage actually works. We can't do marriage without God. If God and your relationship with him is energizing your other relationships here on earth, then you can love others out of overflow and not out of a need to be loved back. Amen. That's called codependency. Where I love hoping that they'll give me my needs and it's just, you know, it's kind of like a competition thing. I have this need to be loved back versus we are, the gospel is, we're completely unlovable. We've burned all our roads of any rights to be loved. And yet Jesus loves us, capacitates us to love him back and to love others out of an endless spring of overflow. And so on the days where my spouse is lovely towards me, I love her. On the days where my spouse is less than lovely towards me, I can love her. God help me. If I tap into God, <laughs> there's days where I'm not lovely, but I have no excuse because I have Jesus. We don't have to be dependent on whether or not that other person is acting the way we ideally think they should. God is the power in marriage. So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Yeah. Does he really think that that command can be lived out? Yes, why? 
Why? Do I do nothing out of selfish ambition of conce- or, or conceit because only because my, my wife act, treats me that the same way and as long as we're both perfect with that, we're good? No. The reason I can do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit is not simply because I'm really good and extra holy and extra selfless or because she is. It's because, verse 1, because there is an encouragement in Christ. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, so the reason that I can act like this, the reason that I can have this relational harmony that is basic wisdom, even though I'm flawed, is because I have an out-of-this-world encouragement from Christ. I have a comfort from love that will not be taken from me, that is not circumstantial, that's not here today if it feels good, but gone tomorrow. I have participation in the, capital S, Spirit of the living God. And I have a, a love in my marriage that's devoid of the type of controlling conceit And I can't take much credit for it because it's from a living God. God is the purpose of marriage and he is the power in it. Verse five says, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning this way of living is not your way of living, but it's yours in Christ Jesus. If you're connected to a greater love that was there for you when you and I were unlovely, then we can have an overflow type of love instead of just a love that we, we have a need to be loved back and maybe we'll love and maybe we'll give. See, if you don't get this, let me just drive this home a little further. If you don't get this, then years from now in your marriage, you will eventually falter to a level of codependency where you, you love out of a state of depletion rather than overflow. And maybe you can convince yourself for a matter of years that it's okay. Like eventually I'll, I'll be loving and, and I, don't need, I don't need anything. But you're always just growing slowly bitter and more bitter for what you're not getting back. If you're loving out of that state instead of a state of overflow, you're complete. You're giving, you don't need that person, but there's an interdependence that I have all my needs most profoundly met in Jesus, and I serve. See, if, if you don't have that overflow, then eventually your, your codependency, your bitterness, turns into kind of a state of victimhood or martyrdom, an unhealthy kind. And, and, and you love out of depletion rather than overflow. But Jesus is the one who can give you an overflow of his love to where it can spill over. You know, in marriage, we, we have basic needs. I'm not saying you shouldn't have, our, that marriages don't have uh, basic needs that are met back and forth. You know, men need respect and women need love and, and men need sex and women need communication, like face-to-face communication, not like Facebook communication, but like, the, I, you know, that's, that's all the practical we're going to get into pretty much today. But what if these needs aren't basically being met? You can still have an overflow of hope where Jesus is meeting your most profound need day after day, and there's overflow, there's reserve to love your spouse even when you don't feel your basic needs are met because there's a more profound need that allows you to love. Single people, 
if you can tap into this truth before marriage and you can love others in your covenant relationships and friendships, your roommates, and you can love them not based on how well they, they clean up after themselves in the kitchen or how well they love you back, but you love them out of overflow. If you love your friends before marriage out of Jesus overflow, then you're best prepared to love your spouse out of Jesus overflow. Single people. Love out of overflow. Jesus is the power in marriage. So before we close, married people, let's, let's get down to the, to the nitty gritty here. What if this is, none of this stuff is happening in your marriage? What if, what if you, there is conceit? There is selfishness? There is no humility happening in your marriage? What if... What if you're in what I call the marriage death cycle? I've read, I think I call it that, but I think I read that somewhere else. <laughs> the death cycle is, is where both the husband and the wife have reasons to, to be bitter with one another. Okay, so there are reasons. This person is not treating me right, and I'm not, and both have those reasons, and both hold on to those reasons as more fundamental, by the way, than, than the, the reason they have to forgive them based on how I'm forgiven by God, right? But I have reasons to be bitter with her and she has reasons to be bitter with me and that bitterness begets more reason for them to be bitter with me and it's this cycle back and forth. What if, what if you're there? Paul says to you, be of the same mind, of full accord and of one mind. It says this three times in this passage we read. So how can you be of one mind? Is it that, okay, the husband just needs to start thinking like the wife, right? Tried that. Doesn't work. The wife needs to start thinking like the husband. That doesn't work either. Wife say, you got to stop thinking. No. It's not that the husband needs to start thinking like the wife to be of one mind or vice versa. It's we all need to trade in our rights, our mindset, for the mindset of Christ every day, both of us. Now, then again, you might be, if you're married in here, you might, say, you might be saying, yeah, see, we both need Jesus, so I'll wait on her. Once she trades her mindset in for the mindset of Jesus, then I'll, I'll break the death cycle on my end and, I'll, and I'll, I'll go with her too, or vice versa. How many people does it take to break the death cycle? Just one. Now, the other person has to respond before that death that cycle turns into an energizing, healthy cycle, right? The other person has to be led, but it only takes one person to stop the, the one person's bitterness, the other person's bitterness, and back and forth. It only takes one. And so if you're hearing me, married person, and you're in somewhat of a cycle, maybe it's not death cycle, but it's not a good cycle. If you're hearing me and you're married in here, you're the one. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You're the one. Let's, let's just say, well, you might be saying, well, I'm not mostly at fault for these things that are going on in my marriage. Okay, well, let's go there for a second. Let's say your marital discord, your spouse is 90% responsible for the problems, right? Which I don't agree with that, but let's just say that that's the case. Let me tell you, you are 100% responsible for your 10%. You're not responsible before God for how God, 
for how your spouse responds to God, but you are responsible for your part and for receiving from God that overflow type of love that, that grants you the ability to love when your spouse is loving you back and when your spouse is not loving you back the way you prefer. You have 100% ability to trade in what you think are your rights and to love your spouse the way Jesus loved you. Think about that for a second. Think about our discord with God and the ultimate death cycle of my sin before a holy God. How much was God responsible for that? Okay, was it was it more than less than ten percent? Was he less than ten percent responsible for my relationship kind of going off with God? Yeah, less than ten. Zero. Zero is the number. God is zero percent responsible for what went wrong with your relationship with God. It's our sin that one hundred percent drove us into a discord with God. So he is one. He is zero percent responsible. But how much? Responsibility that God take upon Himself to remedy the problem with our relationship. The one who is not responsible with the problem at all has come up with 100% of the solution. So, how much less can we love our spouses? Can we love in covenant relationships with an overflow type of love? That's our hope. God was not responsible at all, but Jesus 100% became the perfect substitution, dying on the cross for us. Though he, was no, though he was in the form of God, he didn't account equality with God, meaning he didn't count this, this state of, this right he had to continue on living in happiness and with God forever, he didn't count that as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God. Jesus, you are perfect. Your perfection and your sacrifice is our hope for our marriages, for our friendships. There is no other hope and there is no other hope needed. So help us to to love others not in reaction to their love or lack of love but in response to how you've loved us. Holy Spirit, heal me. If you're in here right now there's something specific you need the Holy Spirit to heal you, restore you in. Just speak to him right now. You are the healer. Help me to live a life that's worthy of the gospel and to live out a marriage that's worthy of the gospel. And if there's something that anyone needs to do here, God, I pray that you would reveal what it is that we need to do. There's something in our spouse we need to forgive, to release an act of faith and love. But I pray that you would reveal it even now. Amen. Praise God. All right. Now, before we dismiss, I have a quick 
thing I want to do. I want to uh, pray for our new members and bless them even as I uh, am announcing our, uh, our new opportunity to go through Establish for you. Um, again, real quick, Establish is our growth step number two. And it starts with our membership class, which is uh, Sunday, March 5th. Now, if you want to reserve one of our 20 spots, well, it's remaining 19 spots now, um, you can sign up at springstx.org slash establish uh, to get started with that. Now, if you have in this last fall or winter, if you've went, went through our established class and you are in the process of laying strong foundations, I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask for you to stand to your feet so that I can pray for you. If I emailed you this week, if you've completed a membership interview in the last few months, let's give them a hand. See, God knew there was a reason why you put on your extra purdy clothes today, all right? Praise the Lord. I want to, can we extend our hands to these new members and, and bless them. Lord, we thank you. We receive, we receive covenant relationship. Lord, we thank you that we can love one another based on how you've loved us. Because you first loved us, we can love. And we ask that you would help these precious new members to grow. We thank you for them. We receive all their distinct gifts We thank you, Lord, that you are going to continue to to grow them, to launch them off in a greater foundation of freedom and a foundation in your word than ever before. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength to dig deeply into your word and to allow you to dig into their soul, to grow in you and to be established from truth and truth for your power. In Jesus' name, we bless them. Amen.